Usually people know King's Mills for one gigantic, loud, big reason. That would be King's Island. I know a lot of you have actually ridden on those rides, but did you know way back in the day, that place had explosions of a different sort, loud ones that could be heard for miles around. We're talking about the Peters Cartridge Company and the factory that made munitions along the Little Miami River and how it's super haunted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another awesome episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Loco, and along with me on the strange and spooky ride through this strange and spooky world are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. They will be on in a short minute. You can stay up to date with our show by following us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. Of course, we're dying to hear about your personal encounters with the paranormal and fringe history from your neck of the woods. Send it to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or join and share it on our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can watch our show feed on YouTube. Just find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please take a moment to rate and review us on those platforms so other spooky lovers just like yourself can find the show. Link in show notes. Also for show news, Christina, how did your women's art club talk go? It went really well. It was a very enthusiastic crowd, and it's a great group. They also are doing their juried art show, which had some really amazing paintings. And it was it was great talking to them. A lot of them are interested in publishing their own art books and that sort nice. of thing. So there was a lot of interest in that, and there's a lot of interest in the mini palettes. So it was it was really an enjoyable talk. I mean, it's a great group of artists. I mean, they were really encouraging me to join, mm-hmm. and you know maybe I will. I mean, the problem right now is just time with mm-hmm. the Urban Sketcher stuff. I don't have any time to do anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. And <laughs> you're you're a busy, busy lady. Well, I think everybody gets that. I mean, you want to be part of everything, but you can't do everything. Yes. But and then they you have get FOMO. <laughs> they have a beautiful space where there's classes too, mm-hmm. uh, called the barn, and it's in Marimont, and it's this beautiful over hundred year old renovated barn that I wonder if it's haunted. I should yeah, start I was about that. to say, is it haunted? <laughs> I suspect that it probably is. I should have asked them, and and maybe I will, because that seems like a historical building like that has some stories to tell. I'm sure. I'm sure there's somebody floating around in there. Yeah. At least a cow or two. So (laughs) maybe some chickens. But it's really, they were also having classes making uh, Ukrainian style eggs while we were there. And that looked, I've been wanting to do I have all the equipment to make them and I just didn't have time this year, Mm -hmm. but I'm hoping next year that I can because that's a really cool art form. Yeah. I was about to say there's equipment for making them. Well, you know, you have the little, usually how you do it is there's like a little reservoir that you melt wax into Mm -hmm. and you can buy actually an electric one instead of using a candle. It's, it's almost, you, it comes with like these little, wax pieces that you put in and it melts them it's much more it's a lot less if you've ever made them before it's a lot less bloppy okay when you heat it over the candle if you 
are inexperienced like I am, a lot of times it, it doesn't come out in a nice straight line. It makes a big blop. Mm-hmm. Imagine it like a fountain pen does. Like if I was just imagining it right, like it, a fountain pen. Yeah. Yes. And so the electric one is much more like it doesn't tend to blop up like that. It's much more and, precise. Yes, it's like using a rapidograph or something like that. Yeah. And it, it's much nicer when you're drawing those little lines on the egg. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing sucks more than when you are working and you're concentrating and then a blop happens. And yes. You cry. I just got my first fountain pen to draw with for going to New Zealand. So how do you like that? I, it's really I really like the action on it. I probably will get a wider nib next time just okay. for more action. And this one's the ink in this one is not waterproof, but I suspect I can buy some waterproof cartridges. Mm -hmm. So it just gives a different effect. I just need to learn what I want to do with it. Yeah. If you want to know about waterproof inks, ask Heidi. Oh, okay. They know a lot about inks. I will ask them. Yeah. Heidi was, uh, (laughs) I accidentally ruined a illustration I was doing last year and Heidi had a bunch of different suggestions for waterproof inks to put into fountain pens just watch using it on the plane because all that turbulence and the pressure can kind of mess up your well so i've heard that i've heard you have Mm -hmm. to be really careful uh with those and actually i now with any sort of paints or inks in my suitcase i have learned years ago to tape everything up Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so everything gets put in a ziploc plastic bag with tape over it because the alternative's not good Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the alternative <laughs> explodes and it's just exactly. a, it's a literal mess and you're just like no nah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. i suspect i'll be putting the fountain i don't know if i'll be using the fountain pen on the plane but i will put it i will bag it and mm-hmm. you know make sure that it doesn't leak all over my art bag yeah it's always fun traveling with your art supplies because whenever i do international travel they always stop me because i have triggered their alarm for something in my luggage it is always my pencil case every single oh, time it's all the graphite from my pencil case and they search it and they're like oh one time i had bought a novelty pencil case that was in the shape of a converse tennis shoe and <laughs> and of course i'm coming back from japan and the u.s government finds it and of course the uh the sensors for all the different materials go off and they take me aside. And I expect this at this point, they take me aside and they go, can I go through your bag? And I'm like, yes, sir, you can. And they're going through and they find the shoe and they're like, well, this is the thing that's setting it off. And they unzip it and all these pencils fall out. And they're just like, well, we've never seen this before. So they just picked up the pencils, put them back in, zipped it up, closed the bag. And they're like, you're good to go. I'm like, thank you. So, wow. Uh, I've never had any of my watercolors that I have in my pans, the half pans. I've, that's never, they've never, I think they're used to seeing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. These days, there's more and more sketchers. Um, I have had lost a bag that I was bringing a bunch of acrylic paint in because I was working on a book and I packed all my paints and it didn't come for a couple of days. And I wonder if it was, it, it was looked through. It had one of the little notes that said, yeah that they had looked through it and I suspect some of the heavy elements and paints probably set stuff off too. Yeah. That some may of the be. cadmiums and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
Oh, fun. Fun travels as a... Yes, I've got all my sketchbooks. I've got my little accordion sketchbook that I just... Mm -hmm. I haven't taken it out of. Ooh. I realized I bought a bunch of Hannah Mule stuff, which I don't know if that's how you pronounce their name, but I've got toned paper, so I've got these all. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I've got my regular uh, global art materials uh, square one. I've got a new one that I'm going to be bringing because my other one only has like two or three pages left. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually brings us to our next show news note which is we're taking a spring break uh, as christina travels to new zealand and uh, for urban sketchers international and i am buried in work publishing uh barista mystica and also stuff for corpse flower press so we'll be back in a few weeks with some new shows just in time for me to leave to alaska so <laughs> yeah this globe is trotting yeah we're we're globe trotting a little bit this summer so our we're basically going to come back do a few episodes and then i'll be off to alaska and japan and you are going to france christina yes and jen you are holding down the fort here in cincinnati yes because i am still unemployed and can't do anything <laughs> you can find us more stories <laughs> well i can take, do that yeah sure and still talk to all of our listeners on the hometown haunts page and yeah. uh everywhere and just be like yeah we they can totally do this yeah oh, maybe sure, i should go up there. to the the, the hell town you oh, yeah. should that would do be some fun. exploration yeah. that seems like i love that the that the group of words together maybe i should go to hell town that would be fun yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it should be a t-shirt apparently it's an abandoned town outside of cleveland and mm -hmm. a national park mm -hmm. who knew yep who knew it's a lot, I think it's a lot like Story Indiana, which is basically the government took over the entire plot of land. But yeah, maybe. Is it visitable? You said that you weren't. Yeah, you can go when the Yeah, that open. one you can go to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's but I think good. it does border um, private property too. So you got to be careful where you're going. And they just suggest to go during the day and not the night. I don't want to walk around the woods in the night by myself anyway. No. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's no. probably not a good idea when mm -mm. <laughs> a fall or <laughs> you know you don't want the melon heads getting you oh yeah. yes that's where they are yeah that is where yeah. they are you can most likely i would fall and no one would find me and i'd be missing for 20 years and then someone will find my bones and go oh that's the stupid hiker who just tripped and fell over a rock well that's one thing that's interesting i don't know if you heard it when we were at highland heights comic-con but they recently found a rather old corpse in the mm -hmm. woods next to nku they yeah. did the story i read all I, they didn't really say that much about who it was they just yeah the the you know because i get all of the nku news yeah and just kind of make sure it's not affiliated with the yeah, school or said who it wasn't than who it was yeah mm -hmm. it was it's not probably they didn't know and it was not you know and perhaps that's what it is um, yeah you know i think a lot of times it's scary for parents when they hear stories like that and they were reassuring everybody that it had nothing to do with the school yeah yeah, yeah. it is scary yeah, it is. So you can understand parents and students both are oh, concerned yeah. when you find. But I think this was quite an old corpse. I mean, it had been there for quite a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. Huh. either shows how much, how hard it is to see stuff like that or that like people don't notice stuff like that. Or you know, I think it's never a mannequin, guys. It's never no. a mannequin. I think it's really hard, especially if it's just bones, mm -hmm. because they they kind of take on the color of the environment so unless you really know what you're looking for or if it's 
in the shape of an identifiable body, you're not mm-hmm. going to really know what mm-hmm. that is. I mean, I remember back when uh, Murder Squad was on, Paul Holes posted a picture. He's like, there's a full skeleton in this photo. Can you find it? And I'm like, nope. It just looked yep. like leaves to me. And he's like, nope, here's this bone. Here's this. And here's this. And I'm like, okay. How would you see that just hiking in the woods unless you knew what you were looking for? Usually you accidentally step on them. Or that. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of like that photo with the rattlesnake that's in the foliage. There's mm-hmm. a same type of things. Mm-hmm. Like there's a yeah. rattlesnake in this photo. Can you find it? Or the copperhead yeah. or whatnot. No. It's so. like staring in those magic 3D posters that I could never yeah. see. I'm like, yeah. I'm dead on this trail. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be that bones, that pile of bones that Paul Hose holes will be uh asking about in yeah. 30 years yeah. <laughs> so. you know people don't think about how easy it is to probably to slide into crevasses and you know down it is really easy if you don't know the terrain that well it sorry is. everyone we're we, this is apparently the hometown haunts murder talk sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, you know how they've been saying they've been finding bodies in uh um hoover dam area oh, I had because the water's that. falling oh yeah um, the level's <laughs> falling and it's everybody's like "Ooh, mob mob hits mob hits no it's people that have disappeared while boating mm-hmm. and eventually just because the water has fallen so low that they find them yeah they, they've been sitting in the they landed in the sediment mm-hmm. and uh yeah. depending on the water temperature they could be pretty i won't say well preserved but more preserved yeah so yeah mm-hmm yeah. yeah, that's that's a rude thing to come upon, I'm sure, or very scary. It's not yeah. just at the dam, at the Hoover Dam. It's anywhere that was a large There's water. water. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they, they've been rivers, even yeah, and cars. They find cars and mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, Google when... Maps was good about that finding. Yeah, the satellite photos you can see down into the water. Well, and it was here cars. in Lawrenceburg. Somebody huh? drove into the Ohio River and they found it the the car because of the river dropping low enough oh, really? that you could see the bumper and the license plate wow so they they managed i think the mystery was about six or seven years old it was a mom and two children that disappeared oh, and no. they were in the river so wow uh, a drive in on purpose or an accident that's to be determined so I hope anyway it was just an accident on to accidents that were terrible <laughs> <laughs> let's go on to tonight's topic so sources uh, for tonight's show are wcpo yahoo news the hamilton evening journal cincinnati inquirer the gazette news current and wikipedia so listed on count- countless sites of the paranormal in abandoned places the peters cartridge company's past continues to haunt the cincinnati region its foreboding brick facade and towers loom over the Loveland bike trail, a lingering vestige of the impact of the Industrial Revolution and the wars that the ammunition plant catered to for decades. The origins of the powder factory was a dam and mill race constructed for the Chapman Brothers Scythe Works back in 1825. A few years after the factory was built, the Little Miami Railroad was constructed, which provided the factory a great means of transportation. 20 years later, in 1846, the factory was sold to Lorenzo Austin and Benjamin Carlton, who created the the Austin and Carlton Powder Company. 
Joseph Warren King would buy an interest in the company in 1852 and by 1855 would purchase the entire company and rename it the Miami Powder Company. This is where most of the history for this place actually starts when you read anything about it, but it actually started in 1825. You'll also notice that this location tends to change hands frequently and get renamed. King also founded the company town Goes Station. So I, I like the, that is something that you don't see too much anymore is company towns. They do exist, but this is really rural America. We're talking about pre-Civil War. Records indicate that the Miami Powder Company's first years of business, 4,364 kegs of rifle powder and 1,303 kegs of blasting powder were produced at the factory. In 1864, during the Civil War, the factory supplied black powder to the Union Army, with the total production being 10,000 kegs of rifle powder and 3,800 kegs of blasting powder per year. After the war, the amount of rifle powder output was about the same, but there was a demand for blasting powder because, you know, railroads were being built everywhere and mining. A little bit about how the factory worked, because one of the things I noticed in all the research was no one actually explained why there were so many different buildings for this factory, and it was all for safety. There was separate buildings for different stages of the rifle and blasting powder process, or for black powder basically, which is why Peter's cartridge has so many different buildings. It's all for safety measures because they're trying to keep people from being blown up. Only a few men worked in each building with a horse-drawn trams that would move the powder from one phase to the next. The powders are a mix of sulfur, charcoal, carbon, and potassium nitrate, aka saltpeter. Timber would be shipped in from the railroad and and the timber would be reduced to charcoal in a kiln in one phase, then mixed with sulfur and saltpeter and a dampening agent, usually alcohol, in a large cast iron edge runner mill. The components were then uh, dampened to keep the, or sorry, the components were dampened to keep dust slow and also to keep the material from exploding while being ground into a fine powder in the edge runner mill. The damp powder would be shaped into mill cakes and left to dry. Once dry, they were packaged and shipped out. Joseph Warren King left the factory in 1877 and founded King's Mills. We know it today as the site of King's Island Amusement Park. You know, that small little entertainment venue in the middle of Warren County. On March 1st, 1886, a large explosion happened at Miami Powder Factory. A dry house containing 50,000 pounds of drying black powder blew up. The blast was heard 100 miles away and killed three men. Reportedly 42 miles north of the factory in Xenia, Ohio, windows shuttered and the blast from the blast and many of them broke. Residents could see a giant white cloud of smoke rise into the air from the factory. There, were 15, there was a 15-foot crater where the dry house stood, and the explosion also had damaged the bridge to the factory. So that bridge that you drive over to get to the factory was damaged. The one that goes over the little Miami River. The following year, in 1887, Joseph Warren King's son-in-law, Gershom Moore Peters, took over the munitions factory along with the little Miami River in Deerfield Township, Warren County, Ohio. He was... He had worked the factory since marrying um, King's daughter in 1881, but it was also a former Baptist minister, which I found really interesting. Uh, what a job change. Uh, 
it was um it's when the factory is renamed the Peter's Cartridge Company as well in 1887. Peter's also invented the world's first fully automated cartridge loading machine for the factory. So he was a smart guy. He also had about 32 patents on different machine products for the factory manufacturing of black powder and then also making them into um, bullet casings, basically, like filling the bullet casings and all that. And eventually they would grow to making munitions as an actual live rounds, not just the black powder. By 1889, the factory was producing 4,000 cartridges an hour and employed 3,000 people who worked round the clock at the factory. So there was always somebody working there. Although the Peters Cartridge Company was known throughout the county, country for its black powders, it became infamous on July 15, 1890, when the largest explosion occurred at the factory. On that day, a train loaded with black powder was shunting, which is they're putting the two cars together, uh, with two fully packed railroad cars. There was a spark that was caused by this process that ignited both train cars, that explosion killed 12 men. It also started fires that destroyed the railway station, the freight house, two Peters cartridge office buildings, the shell factory, the cartridge loading plant, the large warehouse, and six employee homes. Basically, this explosion leveled the entire factory. And there is a wonderful, and I say wonderful as sarcastically as I can, illustration from the Cincinnati Enquirer in 1890 that I could show you right now. Would you like to see it? All right. Let me see if I can get to the present. Um, share screen. Now, can you see it? Yeah. So this was the explosion of, uh, this is an ink drawing of basically two boxcars exploding from uh, all the loaded munitions. So, yep. All right. There we go. And we're back. There we go. <laughs> we're all back now. So the entire Peters Cartridge Company was rebuilt across the river from the previous location. This included the Tall Shot Tower, which was completed in 1895. The iconic Brick Shot Tower, topped with the letter P, was completed in 1919. The other buildings built were a machine shop, shotgun shell loading building, building manufacturing, bullet manufacturing building, a main building, a powerhouse, a metallic cartridge loading building, pier assembly building, and an indoor shooting range and ballistics laboratory. So that is what, when you go there now, many of those buildings still stand. Because they were all, they weren't, they're wood framed, but they've been shored up with either concrete or brick. With World War II, or sorry, World War with World War One, Peter's Cartridge Company was filling large orders for the Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, as well as the Russian Empire. Remington Arms purchased the Peter's factory in 1934 and fulfilled orders for World War II. During the Peter's Cartridge and Remington Arms days, there are more explosions at the factory that result in an additional 21 deaths. In 1942, for example, an explosion was so powerful that it shattered windows 30 miles away in northern Kentucky. Once the war was ended in 1944, Remington sold the building to Columbia Records, where they used the space to press 78 RPM phonograph records. Columbia used the facility for only five years, however, leaving in 1949 when 45s became more popular. 
They leased the facility to Seagram Distillers as a warehouse space until 1968, and after the warehouse was purchased and sold multiple times. Landmark Renaissance Corporation bought and renamed the facility to King's Mill Technical Center in 1979. Lens Crafters also had a manufacturing center there to make eyeglasses, and other small companies leased the space for themselves throughout the years as well. In 1985, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places. Then it sat largely abandoned. And of course, with abandonment means there are ghost stories. The property was a popular space for urban explorers, ghost hunters, and teen vandals throughout the past few decades, but especially during the 1990s. There are pentagrams crudely spray-painted on just about every space of floor for a really long time. There are windows were broken and there was overgrowth reclaiming the walls all during the 1990s. Local rumor persisted that satanic rituals occurred in the old buildings. In the 1990s, someone even broke in and transformed a part of the factory floor into a haunted house. The Strobel family, who purchased the property in 1998, kept the decorations up, which seemed to only add to the creepiness of the building. Most commonly, it is believed that the ghosts of those men who died while working at the factory still remain and make themselves known around the premises. People have visited the property in decades past, have claimed to hear footsteps on the roof or within the main building when they were alone. Other witnesses have faces peer have seen faces peer down to them from the upper floors of the factory buildings when they were closed down. Phantom shadow people have been seen crossing the sky bridge over the road and other drivers on Grandolin Road, which I believe is the road that goes underneath the sky bridge, have witnessed ghosts peering out of those windows down to the road below. Others have reported phantom whispers while in the buildings, and objects have been known to move on their own in the old factory premises. There was one anonymous report made in the comment section of one of the websites that I looked at, and they, and I'm going to say, take this with a grain of salt because this is an anonymous submission on a random website on the internet. So, they used to work at the warehouse when it was still a working warehouse, which means before 1985. And they claimed that a full-bodied apparition dressed in bib overalls carrying a lantern would be seen walking around the property, even during the daytime. The writer said that they had never felt threatened when seeing any of the ghosts and believed that it was a former factory worker who died on the property from one of the many explosions. Of course, currently, like Jen and I did a few last month, actually, you can visit the Peters Cartridge Company now without threat of being arrested for trespassing because it has been cleaned up and remodeled into luxury apartments. And now the Cartridge Brewing Company has a restaurant and tap room there, which we went to after the Loveland Frogman Festival back at the beginning of March. So it was really cool being able to go and sit really in the middle of all of these buildings and just look at the history I think, Jen, you and I, while we were waiting for our table, were just staring at all yeah. of these buildings the yeah. entire time. Please and excuse the small toddler that's <laughs> shouting in the background. That is not a ghost. That is a living child. <laughs> yeah, and kicking myself that I had never gone to it before it had been renovated. No, don't, because it was super duper dangerous. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I mean, it's dangerous just getting there now. That little too late. Yeah. Over the river is kind of scary. Yeah, it is. Um, 
it, it's interesting because if you remember when we were there, I thought I saw somebody walking along the banks. Mm-hmm. And now I understand why it was because that's where the former buildings were. And that's where okay. the explosion had happened. And okay. I'm sitting there, I'm like, was it a dog? Was it a person? It looked like mm-hmm. something was wearing a white, something white. Mm. And uh, it was because you remember I was just like, what's over there? Yeah. And we couldn't, we were looked and we're like, no, there's nothing here. It was on yeah. the banks of the river. So that was interesting. Um, but yeah, they've transformed the entire place mm-hmm. into really luxury apartments that are way more than my mortgage right now. And <laughs> yeah, and they're really, they look cool. And I'm they glad do. that they could reuse these buildings. It was apparently when they remade them or refurbished them, huge EPA thing because they, this place was contaminated. Yeah with just about every heavy metal that you could think of was in the ground and in the water. So they had a massive cleanup. It actually led to a lot of people that lived in the area to think that they were demolishing the buildings Mm -hmm. because there was just, it took them a month straight of just digging topsoil out and replacing it with new stuff. Um, So I'm, I'm happy it cost $5 million to do it, but I'm happy they were able to save the buildings, though, because you cannot rebuild See, these places. No, and that's the developer that cares about the history of mm-hmm. the property. Because, yeah. as we've mentioned before, not everyone feels that way. Right. Yeah. And it's fun going to the tap room. They have a lot of Remington and Peter's cartridge-themed and military-themed beers. Also, mm-hmm. they have a Frogman, which is very good. I suggest getting yourself a pint if you are of drinking age. Um, caveat there of a uh, frogman because uh, it's a lovely pineapple hoppy beer. So, but yeah, um, it's, it's just really neat. It was also a full moon, I think, when we went there. So yeah. we got some yeah. lovely photos of the full moon right behind the shot tower mm-hmm. with the P on it. So, but it's amazing. And if you, for our listeners, if you know somebody who lives there or has experienced anything there, please write in. I always love getting more stories from these locations that we highlight. Um, this one is over for a beer and a tour. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would do a beer and a tour too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is I think the Loveland, um, not the Loveland Frogman, no, mm, wrong thing. Uh, the Loveland Bike Trail actually is on top of the former plant that exploded. So the one that exploded and caught on fire and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That the bike trail goes right over that. Oh, wow. um, Yeah. The next time you're going through that, you can go, this is the bloody history of the location that I'm in. And it made a gigantic crater and uh, killed. Yeah. I can't get over that. The explosion was heard in Northern Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I mean, 30 miles doesn't sound like much, but it's, it's a lot. That's a big distance. I was just like, Newport is closer to this place than Xenia is. So that was, I actually Google mapped that one out because I was like, no way. Yep. It's exactly 30 miles away. So I do have some photos that I can share before we move on to the uh, hometown haunt from Jamie. So let me, thank you, Christina, for moving it over. Share screen, entire screen. We're gonna see there's Wheatley, but um, here is the uh 
sky bridge that yeah. a lot of people will see just phantoms walking around. And these are photos are a few years old before everything got renovated. So, but how spooky would that be to be driving down the road about to go up a bridge that has a steep, steep hill and uh, a curve directly to your um, left and you see somebody that's not supposed to be there staring at you from that sky bridge that thank you yeah no thank you (laughs) that it's probably drive off the bridge yeah and then this is the what it looked like before being renovated so all of these this is one of the that's the 1919 uh, shot stack basically the one with the big p on it and uh what is that where the restaurant is now no this is is where all the condos are now okay so this is one of the main buildings um it was it used to look like this inside yeah um yeah it was this is where basically things were um i believe this is where stuff was actually pressed into uh ground and then pressed and stored i think this is the warehouse where they store everything i know this makes for great audio listening <laughs> um we also have a peter shell advertisement oh neat and uh yeah this is 1912 it, it gives you how much uh basically they sold <laughs> and uh, so this is probably around 1916 when this advertisement so as Peter's shells adds far further evidence of the superlative quality of Peter's shells. So just lots of happy men with rifles in top, not hot top hats. These are just, uh, I forget what kind of hats these are, but they're all wearing suits. They're not, they're not bowler hats, are they? No. No. I always called them fishing hats because that's what my dad would wear when he was fishing. Yeah. Kind of like an Indiana Jones hat almost. Yeah. So this is uh, the actual Cincinnati Inquirer article, this entire front side of the front page. And you can imagine back in the day, the newspapers were thinner, but longer than they are now. And half of the page in 1890 was taken up about the another horror. So this is Wednesday morning, July 16th, another horror, 1600 kegs of powder explodes, wiping the King's mill from the earth face. Three persons known to be killed outright. Seven are missing and nine seriously injured. Uh, William Franny, a brakeman, is blown to automata. <laughs> like, no trace can be found of nine persons. Terrible scene in little little town on the Miami. Every house, the residents reduced to splinters. Peter's cartridge factory goes up in flame and explosion and threatened... I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm having a difficult time reading this one because it's really old, old timey. Perry Holocaust lends terror to the scene. Wires all down and devastated spot isolated in its sorrow. The killed. It doesn't mention the three people who were immediately identified after uh, being killed. That illustration says everything. Yeah, I know. Right. No, yeah. It it's does. a great illustration. It is... Are there bodies on there? Oh no! There, yeah, there are, yeah, there are, there are, there are bodies right here. There's a uh, one guy I going mean, oh, and another guy going oh dear, and another guy running away. I mean, I um, think that's a wonderful illustration. Did it yeah. credit who did it? Nope, probably <laughs> staff not. artist probably. 
Uh, uh, William... What cracks me up about this being uh, in the newspaper industry for so long was <laughs> those subheadings for like a whole column. I know. What I just read for our listeners are like 10 subheadings yeah. for this one article. It just yeah. keeps getting worse and worse and worse as you're mm -hmm. reading. So the killed were William Fowley, Alpert Williams, and Samuel Stevens. They're the ones that they could identify immediately who were blown to smithereens. And Mrs. Fred Keller and two children were missing. Mrs. Jas Deacon and Mrs. Moss and two children were missing. And the injured were Mrs. Lottie Byrne, Harry what? Harry Smith, Frank Hunt, Mrs. John Schneider, Miss Annie Schneider, Miss Lida Felstein, Miss Gillum, Miss Maggie Hutchinson, and sister. So these were the houses that must have gotten um, basically blown to smithereens as yeah. well during this. So they would have been the wives and the sisters and daughters of some of the men working there that day so surprised they gave the women their first names yeah they didn't used to do that back then really no nope. but um yeah there, there's just it's just a bunch of subheadings not necessarily everything though ironically kind of associated with one of our earlier episodes there is an article about the poorhouse horrors from disgraceful coming of sexes among and this is just me reading imbeciles in the insane asylum in Indiana. So they're talking about the poor houses back then too, and how they were terrible places in 1890. So, all right. So, uh, yeah, the relief. Oh, there was a relief train also sent in hustling to the scene to the terrible explosion. So yeah, that's, that's awful. Yeah. I'm sorry for those families. Yeah, it's uh it had to be terrifying. I will be honest, I've never seen a confirmed list of who actually passed away from mm -hmm. that explosion. So um it's handy having that kind of news reporting, though also 1890 we don't know quite how accurate it was, but cuz like one of the people was Maggie Hutchinson's sister. We don't have her name. We don't know who it was or we don't have the children's names either. Yeah. But uh yeah, this would have been, the location was um, across the river from the current building. So if you're in the parking lot and you look across the river at that bridge and mm -hmm. you just look down, go look west, all that would have been what basically you're standing in now, but it would have been wooden houses and wooden factories. So, and Are there houses there now? I can't remember. No, it's just a bike trail. Just the bike trail. Okay. Yeah, most of the houses are up the hill. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. So, and that is the history of the Peters Cartridge Company, as complete as I could make it as of this date. Yeah. And I hope it kind of informs people a little bit better that the long history of munitions in the area and how much of an impact it had on the entire uh, region. So, what I really like, I just like the visual aspect of it, especially when you're. If you've never been there, it's just you're going down this narrow, steep road, windy road, and you don't feel like you're near a city. Mm -mm. You really do feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden there's the river and then there's this this big, huge 
complex. Well, complex. Yeah, it's a complex. It's a and, huge uh, brick and concrete complex. Yeah, and, and especially at night with the lights on. I don't know. It just it it feels magical to me, for lack of a better. Word. It's very magical. Yeah. I also will note: please have a designated driver when making that drive, because yes. if you're leaving the brewery, that is not a fun hill to be driving up. No. In anything besides sober. And so, they were under construction. The road yep. was under construction while we were there. So like, I was yeah. like, I, even turning out of it, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to turn into the right way. So I'm going to go this other way and then turn right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, I was afraid I was turning into oncoming traffic. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a slight terror, moment of terror. Eyes as big as saucers. Yeah. I'm like, where, yeah. where, where is the road? All mm-hmm. I see is a concrete wall. <laughs> oh, that is scary. Yeah. This was reminding me of the Razzi explosion. Do you remember that? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. The fireworks factory. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you watch the WEBN fireworks, and mm-hmm. of course they do fireworks for a lot of other, I think, the stadium and stuff. And of course, anything with, with powder, you know, like that explodes. And they had a factory explosion. I think it was 2009, according to. Yeah, I was going to say oh, it was wow. recent. One yeah. Wow. I mean, stuff like that happens all the time. How did I miss that? I lived here at that point. He had other things going on. I think the only reason I remember it is because I was at the paper at the time. Yeah, but yeah. I don't remember deal. us covering it hugely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it says it says in the article I just looked at small explosions. So mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. it wasn't this this one that you described where people heard it in Newport mm-hmm. seems bigger. I mean, and yeah. also uh, it was probably heard because there wasn't that much stuff making noise back then. Yeah. Yeah, and, or much to yeah. The uh, noise pollution now is is so yeah. much louder. Oh yeah, exactly. And this was just one of many explosions. Mm-hmm. There was somebody else that commented in a uh, different article that explosions were so commonplace coming from this that not necessarily killed anyone, but you kind of lost track of it. Mm-hmm. So it was only like the really big ones that people remember noting. And uh, it still killed after these 12 people were killed in 1890, 21 more were killed up until 1944. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you in- prevent that? Like what, how is the process different now? Cause I don't really hear of any munitions plants. More of it's automated than it was before. Okay. So, um, and it just, this seems to be, they tried their best. I will be honest. They yeah. put it all in separate buildings. They moved things cautiously from one building to another but also think about how many people smoked around these places. Yeah. I mean, smoking still a thing. The train probably was a spark yeah. from the wheels that caused it by yeah. trying to break too quickly. And um, yeah, it's being automated basically is I think why so much of it, though it still doesn't stop things from happening. Mm-hmm. There are, there are explosions, but uh, it actually, what is it? 12 plus 21 is 33 people over the course of the entire yeah everyone just got to hear me do math um (laughs) 33 people of the course of the entire use life of this building is remarkably low that i I would have expected more so um though died of cancer from working in these buildings i can't give you those stats yeah or lung issues but 
Oh, I'm sure so many people got like lung issues and stuff from these factories. Or lead poisoning from the walls. Well, there there's that too. I mean, there was all sorts of really horrible things that happened mm -hmm. to people. Yes. So but they cleaned it all up though when they redid they did. it. Yeah. All they, the environmental it's stuff. Very, it's yeah, it's very cleaned up now. Uh yeah. yeah, they they were pretty good about cleaning everything up. It should be pretty safe to live in those condos now. And I think the power plant is the pool now. The power, oh, yeah? the power plant building. Oh. That's the one with the shot stack uh -huh. in it. Um, there is a pool in there? I couldn't remember. I think there's a pool in there. I did okay. not look up the Zillow of any of those places, unfortunately. Yeah. I was too focused on finding ink illustrations of the explosions. So, Which yeah. was cool. I'm glad you yeah. found that because yeah. that looks really great. Yeah. So we have a hometown haunt from we Jamie do. tonight. So uh, this is from Jamie. Okay. I went to SCAD, Savannah, the most haunted city in the South. One day I saw a ghost in broad daylight at the south end of the Colonial Park Cemetery. It was an older lady dressed in a pink outfit with a pink purse and pink shoes standing on the sidewalk staring at me as I crossed the dueling grounds at the end of the cemetery. She looked like she was dressed for church in the 1950s. We made eye contact. She was staring right at me and she was motionless. I glanced for a split second down and immediately back up and she wasn't there. I looked for her. There were no nearby doors or anywhere she could have gone in a split second. She had disappeared. She was real and then she was gone. It was so creepy. Oh my goodness. I said it as soon as they, Jamie wrote, everything was pink. I'm like, this apparition comes from at least past 1934 because that color pink was not invented for fashion until then. Oh, okay. cool. Then they said the 1950s and I'm like, yes, 1950s is when hot pink, the color we know now, was used everywhere yeah and thank you marilyn monroe and uh for really making that super popular in gentlemen prefer blondes so yeah, yeah it's i as soon as i could hear the description i'm like this is this is a post-1934 ghost so mm -hmm. it's scary that i hate it but anyway that is amazing thank you that Jamie. is pretty cool in broad daylight too i love it when you see ghosts in broad daylight because we then it makes you feel less crazy you're just like the, we, we actually went on a ghost uh, tour in savannah and i thought it was really kind of a bummer that they of course had all these ghost tours at after you know 10 o'clock or whatever and the cemeteries closed so mm -hmm. we went to the cemetery but couldn't go in yeah that is a big bummer i, I, I really love how they had basically a staring contest yes i know which i'm just like you maintained eye contact with the afterlife I wonder what it, if Jimmy hadn't looked down. What what happened? Just poof. Or did they just continue? Would to continue to stare at each other? Or what? Jimmy had had seen them disappear. Yeah. Or who can miss hot pink? You can't. You can't. You can't. No. It's a cool color. Pink has always been one of my favorite colors. Really? Oh yeah. I like. And it, well, I like all colors really, but pink as a kid, I loved it. And mm -hmm. red pink red you know mm -hmm. i really love red too yeah so. those are good colors yeah, yeah i'm picturing yeah. the color right now i'm actually pick it, picturing jackie kennedy too yeah. yeah that it was yeah that was a very popular color for quite a while because mm -hmm. everyone's like wow it's so eye-catching and cheery and it was like before that it was always a pale pink and that was for men's shirts 
Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I think men look good in pink. They do. The pastel. Yeah, I think they look good. Up until the 50s, the 1950s, men wore pink and women wore blue. Hmm. So, yeah. Things are always changing. They always are. Yeah. Sorry. You could tell I just watched, like, fashion history stuff, so... Well, it's but, interesting because you can sometimes date paintings because there were certain types of blue that weren't available mm-hmm. yeah. recently. Yeah, like you can date paintings from the colors that are used and mm-hmm. also the way things are like cut, like mm-hmm. the actual fashion. And I know we've talked about this. Hmm? Tell if they're forgeries. Come. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> are they using mummy brown? Um, <laughs> that that was not. That was horrible. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's horrible, but it's a way of dating something very that's easily. That's true. That's true. So, um, it, it, it almost feels like what's there. the most disrespectful thing you could do? Oh, grind right. up people and make them into paint. Right. That is so bad. It's Are the people that use their own blood for paint? Ooh. Well, you're going to end up with brown again. I know. Yeah. It's, mm, well, you know, it's interesting because that's that's almost an urban sketching thing where people try to use sometimes coffee and sometimes use things like wine but they're mm-hmm. terrible pigments for painting with because they're not made to be concentrated in color so really no, the only staying. way that it would be good is like letting it be really dry like make sure it's more concentrated mm-hmm. i would just think that it would oxidize too quickly and not preserve very well well there's that too yeah. i mean you know a lot of people don't think about what the archival quality is of whatever they're making mm-hmm. and most stuff's not very archival i mean what about yeah. like tea or coffee dyed papers probably do you think the color would stay no no probably not unless it's got something a preservative mixed with it mm-hmm. yeah. i mean some stuff might have things mixed with it but you know it's interesting because when um inkjet printers first came out like a lot of those papers were not acid free and mm-hmm. the, the inks were not very well, we're not archival at all. So printouts you might have made, like we had a Canon printer and like within five years it was faded. Mm-hmm. It's one of the big problems they have with 1970s and late 60s cartoonists work was uh. done in permanent marker Sharpie pens. Oh, yeah. Because they came on the market and were super popular with everyone, but it wasn't archival ink. And places like the Billy Ireland are struggling to keep some of those original illustrations because they're deteriorating. They're not mm-hmm. just fading. They're just deteriorating. It's true chemicals. of like some of the dyes too, like the Doc mm-hmm. Martens and the um, Luma dyes especially are not, they change color pretty fast and are not vi- very permanent. Mm-hmm. I, I've Marcus, been on a yeah. journaling paper kick. Mm-hmm. So I've been researching how to make archival, uh, just handmade papers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fast. It's fascinating how much I don't know about it in how cool it is that just one little like acid can ruin everything mm-hmm. but i don't how how do you stop it other than acid free could you like seal it in an acrylic seal to keep it from degrading so or would it just degrade underneath the seal we we have we have original animation cells from 90s anime mm-hmm. at our house and what we did was we put them behind you of uv protective light Mm-hmm. Um, glass so okay. and then you also can't store them or hang them in a place that sun directly hits them okay because the paint would just turn to dust yeah. so they're they're hidden away right now um but yeah that's basically 
what we do is it's in it they've been protected with the um frame and the uv protective glass so yeah, yeah probably the uv protected glass is one of the best things you can mm -hmm. use yeah and then whatever you put it on like the backing don't use cardboard because that's not acid free mm -hmm. well christina do you it. do anything with your sketches when you use watercolor because is watercolor does it fade I think most of the watercolors are pretty archival. It's probably you have to worry more about mixers. I know I love using those Sharpie um, fine pens and somebody was telling me those aren't archival. Mm -hmm. um, I just, which I think the microns are. Microns are there. And there's a few um, Indian inks, in, Indian inks, of course. Heidi probably can tell you which ones are archival quality and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. So okay. I, it, <laughs> Wow, we just went into an art rant from a ghost story. Thank you, Jamie. That's scary. Well, I think that's yeah, yeah. It's I, fascinating. So. It's just she's fascinating. an art Savannah. teacher. She's an art teacher, so yeah. I will love to go to SCAD uh, for our listeners who don't know. It stands for the Savannah College of Art and Design. A lot of cartoonists go there and animators. And uh, thank you, Jamie, for submitting this and sharing your story. I yes. really love this ghost story. Yeah, so. Savannah's awesome. I want to go back. I yeah, didn't we go wanted... there. I've never been there. Oh, no, that would be a great. I say road trip, but when we went, we were like, we're never doing a road trip like this again because we were routed around Atlanta. So it ended up taking 14 or 15 hours to drive. Oh, God. Wow. So I highly recommend flying there. Okay. I, Christine <laughs> and I went, her mom was living in South Carolina at the mm -hmm. time in Charleston. So we drove there to visit her and then took a day trip down. Mm -hmm. to savannah i think it was like a four-hour drive or something that reminds me to announce our hundredth and episode is coming up sometime and we i know we're taking a break but we would love ideas for what for us to do on that hundredth episode let's like, go to savannah <laughs> like i had suggested transylvania university but yeah. savannah is a choice totally do that. i think yeah. we should do transylvania university i like okay. that yeah, we could, but we could do a poll. We'll do a poll. Is that yeah. in legit Transylvania? Like, it's in it's, legit Lexington. Lexington. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. AKA formerly known as Transylvania, the United States. We're oh. not lying. It was known as Transylvania, so that's why it's called Transylvania I hate University. That. Can we please have things that have different names? Thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's Paris, Kentucky, London, Kentucky, uh -huh. and everything uh -huh. you can imagine. Milan, Indiana. Yeah, Versailles. Versailles. Uh -huh. Yeah. I cool. mean, well, and then, then Bourbon, of course, is named after the king of France. Yep. Is it? It's the House of Bourbon. Yes. Yeah. King and Louis the 16th. I obviously have, my education has left me. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, one thing about going there is you can also go to like some of the distilleries and stuff, and I'm sure they have spirits in addition to spirits. Mm hmm. Um, mm -hmm. That was just yeah. to use that line. I, I was yeah. drawing That's it out. Line. I'm, I'm working line. on my first five minutes. Yeah, I've never done any of the bourbon trail. Have you guys? Nope. I've done a little bit yeah. of bourbon trail. Um, yeah. We've been to a couple. I, I particularly like Buffalo Trace mm. uh, because they have a really nice campus with lots of old buildings and it oh, seems fun. like if there's a place that's haunted it probably has some stuff and um we've been to a couple other ones but i haven't done like the whole there's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. oh, cool. yeah well on that note everyone you can stay up to date on the sh with the show following us at sin cabinet curio on twitter and at cincy cabinet of curiosities on instagram don't forget to email us your personal encounters with the strange and paranormal at hometown 
hauntedmail at gmail.com. For Christina and Jen, I'm Cat Loco. Good night and stay spooky. Bye-bye. Bye.